0: Oh to have you here today. If you're joining us for the first time, uh welcome. My name is Steve Cunningham. I get to be the lead pastor here at Wellhouse and it's uh really I'll be honest with you, it's just it's just a blessing for me and my family to be able to do that to a partner alongside of so many wonderful people here, uh staff and um and on our shepherding group and our lead team. And so many wonderful volunteers who do things week in and week out to serve our our children um, and to help set up in this space. And and to do so many great things, so we count that uh, a blessing and a real privilege to be able to serve alongside of so many great people. And I'll tell you, one of the one of the things I love the most uh, is this time of year where we get to come together and serve so many different people in so many different capacities uh, who are in need, and and so we get to help out and and by. Uh, Christmas and 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 give food to a lot of families in need this time. But we also uh, get to serve in so many other capacities too. We'll be working alongside of uh, several different school systems again this year um, to to help out, uh, serve the staff there, remind them that they're loved and chosen. Uh, and we get to reach out into our community uh, as well and work with our, our homeless neighbors uh, and provide them Christmas again this year. And all of that happens because of your generosity, because of Christ through you. And that's because at Wellhouse, we feel like being wildly generous is a part of the DNA of a Christ follower, that, that God so loved the world that he gave and he didn't just give a little bit, he gave his one and only son. And that's that's what it means to follow Christ, is to be the kind of person that would give your very best, oftentimes for somebody else's very worst. Now that's what we... That's what we enter into when we become a Christ follower. And we love that. It, it challenges us. It's sometimes difficult, but it's one of the reasons why we rally around a day like today uh, on a giving Sunday where we get the opportunity um, to really put our money where our mouth is. And so we we love that. This, uh, this theme of this message or this series, uh, we've been talking about awe and wonder. Um, now for some of us, it's been a few more years than than other people, but I want you to that, that coffee was important. So that was a good call. I'm just gonna say, like, I couldn't make it through without mine either. So no shame in that game. Um so uh sorry, I just you know you it's coffee's important. Um so <laughs> that's right. And the church says. Um there you go. You remember. The first time you drove alone with your license? Some of you are like, no, because it was like 100 years ago. I mean, um, (laughs) that freedom, right? I remember it was, I'm a January baby, so the day I turned 16, I was at the license branch, right, at 8.30 in the morning, ready to go, got my license. I was on the road by 9.30. It was cold. January nineteenth is almost always the coldest day of the year in uh, in the middle of of Indiana, Central Indiana. And I had the windows down, baby, and I was cranking. I was like living the dream. Now you may not have been as crazy as me, but my guess is that when you finally hit the open road on your own, you're like, "This is what real life is like." Now you're like, "Do I have to run to the grocery store? Is there any other way?" Like. I'll just call somebody else, right? Now we have even places that will just bring it to you because we don't really want to leave the house because exposure over time eats away at awe and wonder, doesn't it? And there was probably a time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, there was probably a time in your life where you're like, this is beautiful, it makes sense, and you you would go on retreats, and it was like, man, I feel like God is speaking right to me. And then, if you're like most people, there comes a time where you're like, I don't know. I mean, things seem, I remember a time in my life where all those things seemed like good and important, but... If I'm being honest, it just feels like a really distant memory. And so this whole series is really kind of helping us go back to that moment where we remember what it's like and that awe and wonder of who Christ is. And sometimes we can kind of get off track when we put our awe and wonder in the wrong things. In fact, we started off with this premise that hope and wonder are intrinsically tied together. I so much appreciate uh, the sharing of Scripture and the words today because I think hope is so vitally important. When, When we lose one, we often lose the other. We lose our sense of wonder when our hope becomes any other source than Jesus. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago when Jesus fed the 5,000, which really probably is more like the 15 or 20,000, right? And then this whole crowd of people just follows him everywhere he goes after this, and they're wanting miracle after miracle after miracle. And Jesus says, listen, you're chasing the wrong thing. You want all the experiences, you know, you, you want to be fed, you want to be content, but really, I'm the end. I'm it. And when he says this, it says that and so many disciples just left him from that point on because they had, they had confused the end and the means. So our sense of wonder uh, often uh, when, we, when we put our hope in anything else, often dies out. Last week, we talked about this idea that if the God that you worship fits perfectly in a box, then it's probably not God you're worshiping. And this is the case as we looked at this uh, amazing story last week of the man who was uh, paralyzed and he was healed. And there's so many things in that story, not just uh, for the friends of the man who, who brought him there to be healed or the teachers of the law who were gathered around that day, but even as readers, there's so many things in that story that cause our eyebrows to raise and say, wait a minute, I didn't didn't think things were supposed to work like that. I didn't think that they were supposed to function in that way. That's not how it's supposed to go. And Jesus says, yeah, I know that, but you can't put me in a box." And the second that we begin to put God in a box, it's no longer God that we're worshiping and when we do that oftentimes we find ourselves losing the awe and wonder of who God is. Today I want to look at a story, but before we even get before I have you turn there, I need to test the crowd just for a moment to see to see who's actually here with us today. So I'm going to say a few lines of a song and I want to see if you can finish it. Are you ready? Good. Here we go. Go all the way back, all the way back in time. Zacchaeus was a and a. Now, if you're joining us today and you're like, what kind of cult is this? When when those people were growing up, we sang a song. And somehow it kind of had an Irish Scottish part to it, right? Because nobody ever said we little man except for in that song. (laughs) True story. When I was growing up and I learned that song, I went to a Christian school a small Christian school. We had about 250, 300 kids, and we would gather for chapel every morning, and we would sing some of those kinds of songs, and then usually our principal would get up, and he would share a verse, and every once in a while, we would sing Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and there was a kid in my class. His name was Larry, and Larry was height challenged. We call- Yes, some of you are like, oh, and so Every time we sang, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, we would point to Larry. Even the teachers. Yeah. So Larry, if you're watching this, I'm so very sorry. We weren't as politically correct as we are now. Um, it's true. <laughs> you, you look back on some of those songs that we used to sing, and you're thinking, man, what were we? And like, wondering, wondering, and then people would shout out, Jew, ju, juju, and you're like... Who was writing these songs, right? I don't know. I don't know. But today we're going to, where did we go? What happened there? I don't know. Anyway, today we're going to look at the story of Zacchaeus, and here's the challenge that I have today. I'm going to take a story that you've heard for so long, a story that you know a nonsensical song about, a story that you probably saw on some kind of flannel board at some point in time. But today, I want to reestablish a sense of awe and wonder about this story. So we're going to try to look at it new through new lenses today. It's found in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 1. So if you have your Bible, go ahead, flip on open uh, to, to Luke chapter 19. Starting in verse 1, this is what it says. Jesus entered Jericho, this is going to be rough if I can't read today, and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd, so he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord. Here and now, I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost A little history here for you in this section of Scripture. Jesus is in his final week before he dies. Time is short, and he knows this. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he understands what's at hand. And so if he understands what's getting ready to happen and just... Uh, uh, Just a few more short days, then it would be important for him to make the very most of his time, right? To spend the time that he had with the people that mattered the most. Zacchaeus seems like the least of those people. See, Zacchaeus is described not just as a wee little man, but as a tax collector, and not just a tax collector. But a chief of the tax collector's. Tax collectors at the time were uh, Jews who were employed by uh, the Romans, who were in authority at the time. So the Romans had oppressed the Jewish nation at that time, and then would employ those who who felt like they could maybe get a leg up on things, could earn some more money potentially for their family, and they oftentimes would basically become traitors. See, here's what would happen: is the Romans wouldn't. Uh, employ them to take out a tax, a Roman tax, on the people. But in doing so, they were allowed to, to charge any kind of tax of any kind of amount they wanted to. So oftentimes, that's what they did. And in fact, what would happen is if people would not pay the taxes as though they were imposed, they could have their families taken away from them. They could be thrown into prison. And so you see, That tax collectors were hated. We don't know a whole lot about Zacchaeus, but we do know that he was a a chief tax collector and he was rich. Which meant he knew how to work the system in his favor. Which meant everybody who knew him knew what kind of reputation Zacchaeus had. He would rip you off. He would take advantage of you. He wasn't afraid to try to get every bit of money out of you that he possibly could have. He was known for this. My guess is that Zacchaeus probably didn't have a whole lot of friends. Because there are some statements that are made about what Zacchaeus does that kind of imply some things. It says that he was interested to see Jesus, so he runs ahead and he climbs up in a tree. Now, those are two things that a grown man doesn't do often. Have you learned that? I mean, the only time I'm going to run is if I'm chased by something that could potentially kill me, right? Otherwise, I'll just stand and take a beating, right? Because it's easier, right? But certainly back in that time, with the kind of clothing that they wore, running for a man was undignified. And climbing a tree would be completely undignified. But Zacchaeus doesn't care. And a part of Zacchaeus not caring is probably because nobody cares about him. He's not there to win friends. He's not there to influence people. He's there for one reason and one reason only, and that is to see who this Jesus character really is. See, Zacchaeus knows who he is. He's an outcast. He's hated. Zacchaeus isn't the typical story we read about when Jesus reaches out. See, we're used to Jesus reaching out to the woman at the well or to the woman caught in adultery, to the person who everybody would look at and say, man, that person needs a defender. They're a victim. But the problem with the story of Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus is is the oppressor. Zacchaeus victimizes people. Zacchaeus is the person that we all have to watch our back around because he will take advantage. And Zacchaeus knows this about himself. And so he wonders, potentially, what would Jesus do around him? See, we know Jesus will stand in the gap for the people who are the victims. But what about the people who are the oppressors? We keep reading the story, and it says, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, See, Zacchaeus, he doesn't call out. Now, there's a wee little man in a tree, which may have been spectacle to see. I don't know. But Jesus notices him and says, come down. I must stay at your house today. Now, this is more than just let's have a meal together. It's hard to put this into words in our culture today, but In a very real sense, what was happening is that Jesus was saying, I see you, and I accept you. That you're not beneath me. That I don't dismiss you. See, I think one of the problems that we have in our life is that we know, I know this about me, and you know this about you, all the really dark, disturbing things that are you. You know all the reasons why people might want to hate you or should hate you. You know all the reasons why people would look at you if they knew those things about you and say, oh, man, I dismissed this person, or this person isn't good enough, or, man, I can't believe that that's, that's who they really are if we really know them well. And the thing is with Jesus is that he sees Zacchaeus for all he is, and he loves him anyway. See, God is the only source where you can be fully known and fully loved. And it's a beautiful thing. It's hard this side of heaven to get there. I think if you're in a really healthy, good relationship, that that you might find a piece of this along the way where you can be fully known and fully loved. I think when the church does this well, it does it really well, where you can be fully known and fully loved. But I'll tell you, there's no source that can do it completely the way that God does, where he can know all of the oddities about you, all of the failures about you, all the places of you that just don't fit in and still say, I love you anyway. You can be fully known and fully loved. There are no exceptions to God's love and acceptance. There are no exceptions. Whether you are the victim or the victimizer. And that's the hard part, isn't it? That's the part that brings us back to this awe and wonder because it's uncomfortable. And we don't particularly like that. But Jesus' pursuit precedes Zacchaeus' change. Jesus' pursuit precedes Zacchaeus' change. Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house and in the course of that, which is a short time, something changes in Zacchaeus' life. Now, the people around him were not super thrilled about this. In fact, there were so many people who were saying, listen, Jesus is this great rabbi. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is here to save us. He's the expected Messiah. And here they are, they're saying, well, listen, if that's true, then why would he entertain? Why would he intermingle with somebody who would be so oppressive in nature, somebody whose sin would be so uh, egregious to us? Zacchaeus needed a change. So Jesus goes to Zacchaeus' house, and it's through this that Zacchaeus begins to change. In fact, it's interesting, in verse 8, Zacchaeus stands up amongst all the allegations, which at that point were probably all true, and he says, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, And if I've cheated anything, any anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. This here and now language is a new way of living for Zacchaeus. And it's because of the relationship that he has now with Jesus that Jesus would enter into this place with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus begins to change. We don't know the full story, but we know how he's deciding to live from this point forward. Here's what I know about relationships. Relationships perpetuate change. You know what's interesting about this is that's true in every facet of the world. In every facet of life. Before I was married, there were things that I hung up on my wall because they were acceptable to me. Those of you who know me before, I I had a magic bathroom. What does that mean? I'll tell you another time. (laughs) But that changed when I got married. Some of the things I ate changed when I got married. And then I had kids. And that relationship perpetuated change. Didn't it for you? Right? All of a sudden, that relationship perpetuates a change in your life. So you're not doing the same stuff that you used to do because now you have a relationship that changes the way that you live. See, so many times I think that that we look at this in the context of Christ and we say, listen, if you really want to experience the fullness of Christ, if you really want to know him different, then you have to be different. Then you can see him. And Christ calls us in and he says, listen, no, no, no. The relationship with me will change you. I guarantee it. See, it'd be one thing for Jesus to stand at the tree and say, Zacchaeus, in order for me to ever come to your house... There's some things you need to make right. Jesus says, how about I come to your house first? And allow my relationship with you to perpetuate some changes in your life. What's really interesting about the changes that happen is that Zacchaeus not only says, listen, I give away half of what I have to the poor, and then on top of that, what he says, I'm going to pay back if I've cheated anybody out of anything, and everybody's going around, yeah, you have. What are you going to do about that, Zacchaeus? And he says, you know, the old law says I would give you a fifth. The law that we have handed down from Abraham says that I would give you a fifth, so if I cheated you out of $100, I'd have to pay you $120, and then we call it even, but that's not good enough. What I'm going to do is I'm going to pay back four times as much. See, Zacchaeus was filled with awe and wonder, and it had nothing to do with the sermon, it it wasn't a church experience. It was an encounter with Jesus. It was a relationship that began to change him. Jesus moves from this, this response by Zacchaeus. By the way, I, I don't. I want to camp out there for just a moment because I think this is huge. So many times we forget this part of following Christ, that it comes with, with this sense that we begin to transform, that Christ has this transforming power within us. And, and that in and of itself does, is, is awe and wonder. I think back to the person that I was early on in life. I make this joke some of you have heard this before but you know we have class reunions and I can't remember how many class reunions I've missed now there's a lot it's you know we're all getting older and grayer and all that kind of stuff but I never go back never been tempted to go back and a part of that reason is because I'm not who I was then I've changed And for some of us, that's the the point that we've been missing in our awe and wonder. Is that we've had an encounter with Christ, but we're not ready for the change yet. We're not ready for Christ to transform us just yet. It's like, man, I love that Jesus loves me, but can I keep this part of my life? And Zacchaeus is a reminder that as as we wrestle with Christ in a relationship, that truly that relationship perpetuates change. Jesus' response to this, he says, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which is lost. We don't get the rest of Zacchaeus' story here. We don't know kind of what happens as he continue to be a, a tax collector, but he has a little more ethic about him. He's only charging what the Romans say to charge and nothing more. Does he leave that line of work for something completely different? Now he sells real estate or something. I mean, what does he do after that? We don't really know. What we do know is that he would still be far from perfect, but he was found. And I love Jesus' words here. Chris and Vicky. if you guys will come on up. He says, today salvation has come to this house. And in the Greek, what this really means is today salvation showed up. It was brought to you. You didn't have to go looking for it. It looked for you. And it found you. See, that's an important understanding for us in this awe and wonder is that you cannot earn salvation with Christ. It comes to you long before you and I were born, long before we made all the mistakes that we made and the, and the regret seemed to build up, long before any of that. Salvation pursued you, and it was there for you and this is what triggers our awe and wonder that no matter how far from God we've fallen, no matter if we're, we're sitting on the side of victim or victimizer, Christ loves you even when you're unlovable. And no, He isn't in love with your sin. And yes, He absolutely wants to transform but he wants you to know who he is first. And so for some of you, that's a new message, and for others of you, it's a reminder of the awe and wonder that's there. We get to live out this salvation in a daily walk and be light in the world. Jesus says that you and I, we're salt and light. We bring his truth where we go, and we spread his hope to the people that interact with us. This series, we, we've been challenging you with, with just different things to do to share that awe and wonder of Christ, that little bit of hope along the way. And this week is no different. On the back table out there as you leave, you'll see uh, envelope and, and just a little short um, challenge this week. And that is to go out, take a card, purchase a $5 gift card, bring it back with you next week because in the following week we're going to be taking that and giving those to some of the staff at the local school. People who day in and day out are dealing with kids and they're dealing with parents and they're dealing with stress and sometimes feel overlooked and overworked. And it's just a simple, small reminder that there's a group of people who love them and care about them because their Heavenly Father does too. To encourage you to be a part of that, to continue to look for awe and wonder around your world and to be a light and salt to those around you. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine on you and give you peace. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and present you before his glorious presence. Without fault, with tremendous joy. May you be swept away in God's love for you and transformed through the Holy Spirit's power within you. Thanks be to our only God, Savior, who is unparalleled and unchanging, who is matchless and merciful, who is supreme and sufficient, who is before all things through all things and in all things.